Hi, Linda Phils here. Welcome to my show where I will be sharing with you the strangest secrets to spiritual and professional success and productivity. So let's get started. There's a term I want to introduce to you, and it's the word spiritual professional. It's the spiritual professional. Would you say that with me? Spiritual professional. Now, have you ever thought, those of you that are working in a company of any kind, I got to get retired so I can get into the ministry. You ever said that? And uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but it's a common misunderstanding that the only work that counts is the work done by the full-time church staff. We love our church staff. We support our church staff. But they are equipping the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry out in all spheres of society. And so today's message works for you no matter whether you work in your home office or you're a homeschooling parent or you are in your home for a season or you go out to a corporation, out to be a coffee barista, praise God for coffee baristas, out to be an entrepreneur, out to be an engineer, out to be a therapist, a counselor, just put your occupation in the blank. And don't say, I don't have an occupation. Like if you say, well, I'm an intercessor, then I would challenge you and say, that's your occupation. Be an intercessor with all your heart, if that's who you are. And so the spiritual professional is the person who brings together the spiritual aspect of prayer, revelation, a prayer life that changes things, and your work, whatever your work is, you bring those together, and they, that's the secret sauce of helping you bring maximum impact in your life. So do you like the idea of being a spiritual professional now that you know what it is? It's the man or woman who partners with God in life and in work with an excellent spirit. They establish what I call moral authority because they become the go-to person. Have uh, some of you noticed when you are uh, doing your thing, whatever it is you love to do, that people will come up and ask you, how did you do that? How did you know to do that? Just, just think for a second. You all have times in your lives over the years where somebody has come up and said, I don't know how you wrote that book. I don't know how you gave that talk. I don't know how you made that pie. I don't know how you led that prayer meeting. I mean, just fill in the blank, things that you're passionate about, where others come around you and say, I wish you could teach me to do that. I wish I could do that. See, you can't see your own anointing because you're in it. Okay, you're in the tunnel with your anointing. And from, you can't see yourself from the outside view. So listen, these are clues that God gives you about your special purpose, your special anointing. When others come and say, I wish you could teach me to deliver a sermon like that, or I wish you could teach me to sing like that. And so I want you to be tuning in. I'm going to cover several things about this day, today pretty quickly, but I'm also going to make sure you have notes, and I also have books to help teach you and courses you can take if this is something that you want to grow in. But one of the things God's people need to do is observe their own giftings. Know what they are. Yes, you want to know what your spiritual gifts are. Yes, you want to know what 
you are knowledgeable about. Maybe you have kind of a knack for figuring things out or doing spreadsheets. Maybe you have a certification as an engineer or an IT person in cybersecurity. And all of these things, your spiritual gifts, your skills, your knowledge, the things you've learned on your own, and the things that you've gone to school for or taking courses for, all of these are tools in your tool belt, you could call it, to help you live your maximum impact for the Lord. The Lord does, doesn't ever tell us, well, just check your brain at the door. Just forget that degree. Just forget all that and give it all for Jesus. I mean, we like to say that. You know, sometimes he takes us on a 180, that's for sure. But the Lord doesn't uh, disqualify all of your gifts and skills to be able to use them for him. No, rather he says, bring everything you have. Come on in. Let's look. Let's look at all your tools and let's see how I've wired you, what kind of personality you have, what kind of skills and gifts you have. And when you are flowing in this, you'll find that you've become the go-to person. That's what I'm talking about. When people are asking you different questions, you kind of become the the go-to person in that area. Now, moral authority is established when you have a spiritual professional who prays and does their work with excellence. A result is moral authority. Uh, It's not something you set out to achieve or make happen. It's just a result of being a praying man or woman who partners with God. If we look in the Word, We can just uh, quickly think of several examples. And one of my favorites is Joseph. You know, Joseph was a dreamer, right? And he was so excited about his dreams, he told his brothers, you would think it'd be safe to tell a family member about your dreams, right? And it doesn't always work out that way. And so as you think about your dreams and goals, one of the takeaways right here is you need to be thoughtful and mindful about who you share your goals with. Ask the Lord, who's one or two people I could trust with this in the early stages and that would encourage me? You need people who can see your potential and are for you. And so, uh, you know, staying away from the the naysayers or the ones who are just going to say, oh, you'll never do that. You'll never change. It's, It's very important when you start understanding how to carry this impact vision that we're talking about. Well, Joseph didn't know all that. And so he just eagerly shared his dreams with his brothers. And we know what happened in the story, right? They sold him uh, into a, a caravan of traders that came by. They took his beautiful beloved coat his dad had made him. And they killed an animal and put blood on it so they could tell the dad, oh, Joseph has been killed. And uh, we, we follow Joseph's storyline through many betrayals and many hard seasons. But this young man knew very early that he would have a position of leadership. He may not have understood what it was going to be at all, but he knew he had leadership on him that God had placed in him. And I, I think about what Joseph learned in that prison cell. And what was he talking to the Lord about? And how did he have it together enough to interpret dreams for fellow prisoners? Some people say, I'm in a prison season. I'm in a pit. Well, look to the left and look to the right and see who you can minister to right there in your prison. Joseph did. That's part of the secret for not getting bitter. It's in those hard seasons that you keep your gifts alive. 
And I think maybe Joseph remembered the coat his dad had given him while he was in the prison. He did know he was greatly loved by his earthly father. And I imagine he thought of the colors. I imagine he might have remembered what it felt like, what the fabric was, or maybe how it smelled, and that there was some comfort that came Joseph's way in the darkest of nights in the prison because he knew that he had been loved by his father. He used his gifts. He established what you can now, we can now label moral authority because there came a time where he was called up quickly to interpret a dream. You know the story. And did he come out and go into a six-month inner healing program? He didn't, did he? I think he got healed along the way. I think that was one of his secret uh, things that, that helped him come out unoffended and not bitter. And even if you fast forward, when his brothers were in the bread line coming to get bread, those who betrayed him and he saw them, he immediately forgave them. And he said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So Joseph's life is a uh, must read for how you're going to carry your life vision to full implementation and fulfillment. Great lessons about moral authority, using your gifts, and not being bitter, even in the darkest of nights. And we need those stories because bitterness will shut us down. Daniel is a favorite. He distinguished himself with a spirit of excellence. And this verse is actually Daniel 6.3. And you know what's interesting about that verse? It doesn't say God distinguished Daniel with a spirit of excellence, did it? It said Daniel distinguished himself. And he did that because he worked according to God's principles with excellence. He prayed. He lived a fasted lifestyle. And he was unafraid to stand for what God had given him to do. So do, do you see what's happening? God has a huge part. God issues the big invitation, of course. And then we have response back to God. Partnering with God. Responding to God in every season. This is how you can actually live your life to the full impact. Deborah, Esther, Nehemiah, the Bible is full of beautiful examples of how people said yes to the Lord and were used in ways they could have never dreamed. Do you think that Deborah had any idea that she would ever mount on a horse and ride into battle with a, a military leader? And especially in that day, I mean, um, the fact she was a prophetess as a woman is impressive in and of itself. But the fact she rode into battle, that's kind of like a whole other cut, right? So don't ever underestimate what God wants to do with you. Some of you right now may be thinking a little bit about some dreams in your heart that perhaps you had let go to the back or put on the back shelf. Uh, you know, every dream... Every calling is contested. In other words, there's a battle. There's a resistance. There is a fight. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't have to convince you of that. So we need to know how to war, and we need to know how to stand, and we need to know how to live a life day in and day out that God will use on these epic proportions. Now, epic proportion may mean teaching your children about Jesus in your kitchen, in your home. It's the highest calling you could have. For some of you, it may be being a leader in a political realm or in a government. For some of you, it may be 
having an integrous uh, CPA firm. For others of you, it's going to be just as varied as there are the number of people in the room. And so here you want to resist comparing yourself to someone else. You want your mission, okay? And God has a unique one for you. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about my journey so that you can see where some of, why I'm so passionate about some of these things. I was raised as the daughter of a Baptist preacher. And uh, my dad pastored little churches uh, in little towns all around South Texas, all of my growing up days. And I was, so I was what they call a PK, preacher's kid. Anybody in here a PK? Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. So I didn't know it was supposed to be so awful, so like, I loved it. And um, a lot, got a lot of sweet attention from the little old ladies in the church. And uh, it wasn't perfect by any means because none of us as people are perfect. But it's how I learned that Jesus died on the cross for me when I was seven years old. Heard my dad preaching about the cross yet again. But on this day, something was different, and I thought my heart would pound out of my chest. My daddy was talking about how Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I had uh, a huge sin for a seven-year-old girl that weighed on my heart. And we had been at a dinner in one of the families in the church's home during a revival when they have all of the preachers and singers over for revival and fried chicken. And we enjoyed fried chicken then too, so that <laughs> was a long time ago. But um, I went in, in the bathroom, and there was a beautiful box of squishy, beautiful gold bubble bath beads. I had never seen anything like it. I had to have it. And so I took that package, and I put it under my skirt, and I went out to the car, and I hid it under the seat of the car. Of course, I could never enjoy it, right, because of my sin of stealing. And, um, of course, I didn't want to be found out, right? But it just plagued me. And so when I heard my dad preach about the cross that Jesus died for my sin, I was truly convicted of my sin and that I needed a Savior. And I asked Jesus into my heart. You know, we sometimes categorize sin or put sin in levels, but we're all in need of a Savior. And so however God brings the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to you, um, you will have your own story about that. Now, as uh, time went on, um, there came a time where my dad moved us from one house to another very quickly. And it was a house out in the country. And uh, I was 14 years old. We had moved from one city to another. So a young teenager, you're concerned about how you look, right, and who your friends are going to be or who's going to like you. And we were in a new town, a lot of transition. My mom had gotten very sick at this time, uh, just emotionally battling a lot of the things that come from living in what a, a lot of ministry people call the fishbowl, where you're just, uh, you know, on display for the church all the time. So she needed a break, and my dad was uh, trying to give her that break by making this move. And um, it was a school day. This is in the late 60s. And so uh, I had my clothes all laid out. And I was uh, actually wearing nylon stockings and doing my hair and everything. New school, new everything. And my dad came in this very large open bathroom to light the hot water heater. And uh, my little brother, four years younger, he was 10, I was 14, when my dad struck that match, the room went up in an explosion. 
because we did not know that butane gas had been leaking in all night long. Uh, butane did not have any smell at that time, so there was no warning. So the explosion changed our lives forever. My mother was not burned. She was in the back of the house. My dad and my little brother incurred very uh, severe second-degree burns, and I incurred third-degree burns. Butane is a gas, stays low to the ground, and my, the nylon hose attracted the fire and the flames. And so I uh, sustained third-degree burns over my legs from like mid-thigh down, which means no skin was left. Third-degree burns means, means all three layers of skin are gone. <clears throat> and somehow my dad uh, got us into a car, into an emergency room, and everything from there was a blur for a good, uh, a good while. And uh, I was in shock. I was transferred to a burn unit in Galveston, Texas. And before leaving, they brought my dad in in a, on a, in a wheelchair and my brother on a stretcher to tell me goodbye because I was being transferred to this burn hospital. My mom just had to go. She was emotionally not able to just cope with any of it, so she had to go and be with her mother. So it was the most alone I had ever been in my whole life. And um, I remember asking the Lord, did you not see this? Or did we do something wrong? Or what happened? I mean, your mind is reeling, trying to make some sense of this. What happened? How did this come to be? And um, I, w I asked the Lord a lot of questions. And over the next few days, the Lord, the Holy Spirit began to remind me of the story of the potter and the clay. And how silly it is for the clay to, to rise up and ask the potter, just what do you think you're doing? And God began to reveal to me that if the Lord hadn't been with me, I would not even be alive. It was very clear. And so I asked the Lord to forgive me for doubting him. And I had uh, very painful bandage dressings every day that were applied and removed. I was in a children's burn unit, and there was crying all the time because everybody was in their own pain. And um, as the Lord helped me just work through this, I didn't have my Bible. I didn't have anyone with me. I didn't, but the Holy Spirit was with me, right? And so I thought, okay, well, the Lord saved my life. I'm alive. And now they're telling me when to expect these skin grafts and what the process will be like. And I thought, well, I said, you know, you are the Lord who makes the blind to see and who makes the lame to walk. And I asked, Lord, that you would heal my legs without skin grafts. A, a skin graft means getting skin off another part of your body or from a donor that they apply to your open wounds to take. And um, it was like every waking hour was a bit of a prayer, just from a 14-year-old girl on a hospital bed and sterile surroundings. And um, one day the doctors came in. They were there from all over the world, and they circled my bed. And uh, one of them said, well, I think we should watch this a little longer because it looks like little patches of skin are beginning to pull together. And so everyone in a burn hospital, every patient looks terrible. So they're scarred. They have dry skin. Their hair's toasted out. You're, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know a good way to describe it. It's just pretty dicey. And so I sat up in my bed, you know, 
had skin. <laughs> it's funny now, okay. You know, just kind of flying off here and there. And uh, I had a, a, one girl tried to come see me from my school, and she fainted. She couldn't quite take it, bless her heart. It was just, just very graphic. And the Lord told me one time, he said, if you don't tell the truth, you know, your people can understand what I did for you. So I'm being more open about that. But um, I sat up in the bed, and I looked at those doctors with their flip charts all around, all around my bed. I said, well, I said, the great physician is on my case. Now, I don't know how I even knew to say that, but they're making these notes. And I know they're saying, like, get the counselor in here, get the psychologist, you know, this girl's got to have help. But I never had a skin graft. I mean, it just uh, day in, day out, the Lord brought a little more skin, a little more skin. And so I had a healing testimony that set a foundation for my life. And I want to tell you, some of you are going through a hard thing right now. And some of you have before. Those times in your life when you think, I just pray to God I can get to the other side of this thing. And still love God and, you know, come out where he wants me to be. These are some of the most defining moments of your life. And God will meet you in those times like you can't receive any other time. So let's just uh, pray into that for a second. Just kind of close our eyes. So Father, right now, for those who are in their own explosion or fire experience of any kind, emotional betrayal or financial ruin, what feels like financial ruin, or just questioning and not knowing which way to go. Some with illnesses, Father, or injuries, Lord. Some with questions they've been asking for a long time. We just ask, Father, that today you would reveal to each person where you are in the room with them. That they can see you are present. That they can understand they are not by themselves. That they will literally feel the direction and love of the Holy Spirit surrounding them and directing them, Father. So we just thank you, Lord, for meeting us here and giving us a, this opportunity to define who you're going to be to us in a season like this. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way my life would go from that is I began to give a testimony in high school and college as God gave opportunity. And uh, fast-forwarding a little bit, found myself a business major at Southwest Texas State in San Marcos, if anybody knows where that is, and there you go, in Texas. <clears throat> and I later taught college at Texas. Uh, it's now called Texas State. You know that. They didn't ask me about that. But um, university level. So I taught there, got my MBA. My uh, husband and I married and had a little sporting goods store in a college town. And the people we were hiring to work with us, we were probably just a couple of years older than they were. So did we know what we were doing? Not really. And all the textbooks would tell you, keep your personal life and your work life separate, keep life balanced, do this, do that. Well, we didn't do any of that, you know, we, but we loved on these kids and we spoke into them. 
and we brought them home with us. <laughs> we uh, had some pretty exciting relationships come out of all of that. Now, they call all this marketplace ministry. We now have a term. Back then, it was just living your life with God wherever he has you and letting him work, out, work it out. But I can see now looking back how God was preparing me for the ministry that I lead today. My husband and I have been here uh, about 12 years, and my career prior to that took me into the other college environment of creating a corporate learning center that was very successful. And I want to tell you how this happened. It's not so much about the corporate training center. It's about how it happened. I was in a faculty meeting one day, and I was really needing a fresh challenge. I was getting kind of... Uh, I wasn't disenchanted, but I just had that itch in my heart that I needed to do something different. I loved blessing my students and coworkers. But I wrote on a tablet in a meeting, and I was hoped, hoped the dean thought I was listening to him, but I wasn't. I was talking to God, writing it out. And I said, Lord, I need a new challenge so big I have to depend on you like never before. So be careful what you pray for. Within a few days, I was in the office of the president of the college. Uh, this is now a, a different educational institution near Houston. And they said, you know what? We're going to have to do something to meet the corporate training needs of all these big chemical companies around us, or we're going to lose this big chunk of business. And as they described the project, like, it was so me to be able to start with a plain sheet of paper, create this learning center for corporate executives and engineers and IT folks and safety technical folks. And <clears throat> looking back, if I fast forward 12 years, we trained 150,000 participants. We built a state-of-the-art corporate learning center, high-tech, every room. And people came from around the world to see, how did, how did y'all do this? How did you partner between education, the community, and the chemical companies? And so I didn't usually tell them all that it was because I had scribbled this prayer out, although I felt like that was pretty much a big reason my involvement in, in the whole thing happened. But it was a thrilling thing to do. I got to bless plant managers. I got to lead my staff through problems with marriage and budget and other things. And people, when I talk about this, people usually say, was it a Christian college? Now, it's a state college. And um, the truth is, you don't have to hang a fish sign over your business or everything you do for the Lord to work. You can do it either way. You just got to get clear. How does God want you to do it? But men and women who are praying and coming to work all prayed up and changed the atmosphere with the way they address people and the way they solve problems and the excellence is one of the most incredible ways for people to learn about the Lord. It's not by going office to office and sharing the four spiritual laws, you know, on work time. Hello. <laughs> so uh, this was my journey, and this, this was what happened. So out of all of that, I'm going to give you three things I would like for you to write down or put in your device, maybe. And uh, I'll, the scripture this comes from is Daniel 11, 32b and 33a. And if you're one who... Uh, is interested in developing your life vision or developing it further, I want to offer to you a three steps that will definitely fit with your vision that you can personalize uh, according to what God has you doing right now. 
So I'm going to read a scripture, these two, uh, half of, of 32 and half of 33 in Daniel 11. It's the people who know their God. I mean, we could stop right there, couldn't we? It's the people who know their God who will do great exploits. Great exploits. What's a great exploit? Your great exploit is different from the great exploit of the person next to you. But you have a unique, great exploit God has for you. What is it? Is it to write a book? Is it to lead a study? Is it to begin a group? Is it to start a business? Is it to disciple a few people? Is it to start a church? Is it to go across the world and come to IHOP for a while? The people who know their God will do great exploits and take action. You see, it's both. Knowing God should result in action. Action is not a bad word. It's a wonderful word. It's execution. It's how we move out and carry out what God has given us to do. When Joseph was in the prison, he knew God. He stayed in that place, in the school of the pit, didn't he? He did great exploits by interpreting the king's dream, by feeding the whole world before it was over, by forgiving his brothers when they showed up in the bread line. And how did he come out so unbroken? How did he come out of all of that? And yet when he saw his brothers... In the bread line, he said, everybody go out for me. And they heard him wailing throughout the whole complex because he was so emotionally tender. He wasn't going out there and sending them to the gallows. The power of the forgiveness of this man is incredible. So why am I so fixated on Daniel eleven thirty two and 33? The Lord burned this in my heart probably 30 years ago, and it's never gone away. I've got it on every computer screen and journal and Bible and place I can write it and think it and pray it. And it's what I teach through 7 Impact today to help men and women who are hungry to live a life of maximum impact, to understand it all starts with the heart, knowing God. Like, do we realize the gap between where we are right now and how much of God we could have right now? I mean, that's a pain but it's a provoking pain with a wonderful result. And we have to sometimes get hungry for it. You know, sometimes if we're honest, we're like, I'm not stirred. I'm not stirred. I'm not feeling it. We'll start asking God for it. God can even give you the hunger that attracts you into this thing. So the people who know their God will do great exploits and take action. Those who understand will instruct the many. Right now, each of you have a measure of understanding about how God works. I'd like to ask you not to disqualify yourself. We need to understand God has given each of you a journey where you're learning God. Some of you are learning him while you work, work your heart out in the marketplace. Some of you are knowing God while you sow in your home. Some of you are knowing God while you pastor. Some of you are knowing God while you trade stocks. 
some of you know God while you're doing a hammer. And, and you know, God gave Bezalel a gift for crafting things. So I want you to understand but that it's a holy thing to look at your gifts and talents and those ways God's wired you. Don't throw it out and say, it can't be God. It, it's just me. I, I want to talk about that a minute. Um, how many of you guys are saved? Are you saved? <laughs> okay, amen. How many of you have the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. All right, so here's a question. If the Lord, if you're feeling a leading to do something, well, who do you think it is? Don't be so hard on yourself. I know we can get selfish, ambition, and all of that, but check the boxes. Do your due diligence. But if at the end of it, it's in there burning and God has given it to you to do, well, start out and do it. He can redirect you to the right, to the left. He can move you, right? He can do whatever he needs to do to shape it. But you need to get in motion so that you can begin to find out what's next. If you stay paralyzed thinking, oh, I don't know if it's me or I don't know if it's God. I don't know if it's right or I don't know if it's wrong. Pray through. Journal it out. Check your heart. Is there any sin in you? Any besetting sin? Is there any rebellion in you? Is there any ulterior or manipulative thing in you? If you, When you find those things, not if, when, confess them. Get them out and keep talking. But getting in motion with God is one of the most exciting ways that we are called to live our lives because then God can direct us in ways he could as long as we wouldn't get off dead center. Is this making sense to anybody in here? Good. I need to hear it. Um, so, I want to read it to you again. Here's the three. First, write these down. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, set your mind to know God. Greater tomorrow than you do today. You could be a scholar in the word. You may have known the Lord forever. But I promise you there's more of God. So, number one. Make a decision to know God more tomorrow than you do today. Number two, ask the Lord to help you understand. Ask the Lord to help you understand what he's called you to do. And number three, begin doing those exploits. It will start very small. Don't disregard that. Start small. God can ramp it up as fast as, as he's ready to and you're ready to. But you've got to take action. So number one, know God. Number two, ask him to help you understand. Number three, do it. Get into action. God loves the process of getting into action because we're obeying him. We're do, taking what he gave us and we're following it on out. And so in order to do this, it's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of, I'm going to take you to a slide that uh, when you get the slides, you'll see it's got a little diagram talks about emerging leader, established leader, executive leader. Right now, I'm going to ask you not to say, I'm not a leader. 
You don't get to say that. All right. So somebody's watching you in your neighborhood, in your company, next door, in the church, in your small group. Everybody's leading someone, okay? That's all you got to accept right now. And I want to take you from there to another interesting observation. Um, you may have heard teaching on the spheres of society. And basically, let me tell you what this is. This is just the place where we do life, where we come and go and do life. So I'm going to just read them to you, and then I'm going to come back and unpack it a little bit. The economy, which includes business, science, and technology, that's a sphere of society. Education is a sphere of society. Government is a sphere of society. Celebration, this is like sports, entertainment, and art. That's another sphere of society. Media is a sphere of society. Family is a sphere of society. And religion. And when we say religion, we mean like a church pastor, church worship leader, full-time intercessor. Okay? So where, where do you see yourself? You probably have one or two of those that kind of popped up that like, ooh, I'm interested in that. So let me just ask if I could for a show of hands. You can raise your hand more than once. How many of you would say, I'm very interested in the economy, in business, science, and technology? That's my deal. I like to think about it, work in it, learn about it. Okay, so one, two, three four or five, at least five people here, maybe six if I count. I'm not sure I counted right. About six people. All right. Um, to those six, if I could have your attention, and the rest of you, let, let me explain how this is. I'm going to tell them some things. The rest of you need to hear what I'm telling them. You know why? You could end up here, or you're going to need to counsel or preach or teach or lead or in some way relate to people who are in this sphere. You with me? Don't check out if you say, I'm a full-time pastor. Well, this is your church congregation. You need to understand how they work, what they think. So those of you who, uh, the six or so of you who said, I, I'm really into the economy, uh, business, science, and technology. The things that God is having mobilized in the earth require finance. Somebody needs to know about money. Somebody needs to understand the economy. Someone needs to exercise godly investment principles. Someone needs to be making the financial plan and the spreadsheet. And someone needs to be uh, capitalizing on all this technology. A simple example, people, some people think the Internet is so inherently evil. Well, it's a wonderful tool. It can be used for great evil, but it can be used for great great good, right? So don't check out from things just because you see something that's gone wrong, okay? Because you need to be the voice in your sphere for good and for transformation. Say, I'm a voice for transformation. Yes, I have people thinking about some tr business models right now that we're going to start piloting a few ideas. Uh, a wonderful book on this subject, if this fascinates you, is uh, it's called Transformation, and it's by Lauren Cunningham, and it's probably in our bookstore. If you haven't read that, it's a fascinating read about how God has used people in the business world to shape nations in a godly way. How many of you are uh, 
primarily interested in education. Maybe you teach uh, your own children. Maybe you teach in the public school or the university setting. Maybe you're an administrator in a school. Okay. Okay, one more time. All at once. Okay. There. Okay. Sweet. Okay. So you are in a position to shape the experience that young people or adults have when they come into your uh, school or institution or wherever you teach. It could be a corporate setting, could be a traditional academic setting. People are looking to make sense of their lives and they're coming to be educated and gain skills. When, uh, when I talk to a person who has a real low self-esteem that they're trying to overcome and they can't quite believe God really made them for greatness and you're all made for greatness. Oftentimes it goes back to comments made either by a family member or a teacher or a person in an educational situation who compared them to their older brother or somehow uttered a negative, something with a negative stigma. Those of you in education, you have the power to do the very opposite of that right now. You get to look at people in the face, fellow faculty, fellow teachers, uh, children, students, adults, depending on what level you teach, and you get to look in their eyes and you get to encourage them. And so understand anyone in your life is a divine appointment and how God will have you actually take care of it will vary with your personality and the, the scenario. But understand it's not a small thing that you could tell that person, I really see you doing great things someday. It might be that simple. But take that opportunity uh, with your voice in, in education to be a voice of hope. My husband uh, took a job teaching in the prison systems of Texas for several years. And so the people that were his students had committed heinous crimes. And uh, that he, he was responsible to teach them uh, the basic skills to get their GED. And it was an incredible experience because he treated them with kindness and respect. They loved him. I have a file full of letters saying you're the first man I've ever seen who had compassion first positive man who ever spoke anything to me about my life that I could be different. Many of them, their fathers had been incarcerated as well. But see, this is the power, whatever your setting is in education that you have to the way you model your life before your students and the way you encourage them. Government, do we have anyone here who works in city hall or is a mayor or a councilman or legislator or you just love government? You work for the government. That's a, that counts. Well, who else? Okay. So, uh, you know, government is uh, here to help life go better, you know. And uh, so a lot of times we get kind of lost in bureaucracy or there's so much naysaying and ranting and raving right now. Enough, right? My goodness. But you, uh, as being one in the government, anyone in a government role, all of you, you're a light in a place that needs light. And so I have friends who work in various types of government positions. And from the highest to the, to the clerk or the janitor, 
you have a place where when you walk into your building even, and you're saying, Lord, fill this place with light today. Lord, today I'm asking for kindness on my tongue that I could help so-and-so who seems to be down or seems to be having a real problem. And wherever you are, you will be an agent of transformation. I told you a little bit about my dad a while ago being a pastor, right? When he was 80, he called me one day and uh, had just led a little church out on a uh, marina on the water to build a beautiful building. It looked like a little postcard, you know, a little white church with blue stained glass windows. And he had gotten that goal accomplished and he was uh, at a transition point. And so he called me kiddo and he said, uh, he called one day, he said, kiddo, he said, I think I've done what I need to do at the church. And I'm going, I think they need a younger pastor who can start bringing in the families and the kids. And so I'm going to uh, look for something else to do. And I said, okay, Daddy, what are you thinking? And uh, he said, well, I've been out to the mall. And I was like, oh, my word, Daddy, don't go. I cannot see my dad working at the mall. But um, he had gone to the Gap. He had gone to all these stores. I know, I know. He was just such an incredible guy. And he said, okay, he said, but here's what I think. I found where I can really be the most service. I said, where? Where, Daddy? What are you thinking? And I was just like, until, I was so protective of my dad. I didn't want anyone to hurt his feelings or, you know, who knows what could happen in the mall, right? I mean, <laughs> so I said, um, I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, I'm going to go to work at Chick-fil-A. They need a new sample bin. And he said, I think I can really be of service there. My dad worked at Chick-fil-A as a sample man for 10 years till he was 90. He put chicken in the mouths of crying children, helped their mothers. He wiped down tables. He had every pastor in the city coming in to Chick-fil-A just to see Herbert Lowe. Bible studies started happening. All manner of things. People go to the manager, how did you find this man? How did you find someone who works like this? How did you find someone who serves like this? Now, here's what I want you to understand. My dad did not see this as a demotion or a step down in any way. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know why? He knew who he was. He knew his, his gifts and calling, and he was going to be a light, whether it was being a pastor of a church somewhere or whether it was being the Chick-fil-A sample man. It's very powerful to get hold of your vision and identity because then God can put you anywhere on the highest pinnacle of society with the most attention or down behind the scenes where nobody sees. That's all the same to the Lord. So um, one reason I love to help people get hold of their vision and destiny is because it will see you through every season. You no longer are waiting for permission all the time for someone to tap you on the shoulder, to be seen, to be promoted. It's God who exalts us in the ways that matter, right? You should still study and you should still have a career track. I'm not saying not to do that at all. But I'm saying your position has nothing to do with what's on your business card or the name on your door or your title.
um, the man at the pool of Bethesda went to the pool every day or season when they heard the waters were stirring. Remember the story? And um, the way it was working out, whoever could get put in the water when the water was stirring would get healed. This poor man had been finding a way to get himself there for 38 years. One day as he was there, Jesus came by. And the scripture tells us that Jesus saw him. Jesus' eyes fell on him. And he approached the man. And he said, asked a very interesting question. He said, do you want to get well? Do you want to walk again? Do you want to get well? Is the question. Do you know what the man said? He didn't answer it. <laughs> well, every time the water stirs, someone else gets up in front of me. I have no one to put me in the water. What is that? Excuses. We do it too. We might have done it too. He wanted somebody else to take the responsibility for picking him up and putting him in the water so he could be healed. And when that didn't happen, he remained in his state, current state, for 38 years. This story to me illustrates what many people are doing with their life, vision, and destiny. Just waiting for someone to see them and get them and lift them up. And the Lord would say to anyone in that position, permission granted. You need not wait to be seen, to be tapped, to be promoted. Go. Go be who I made you to be. Go out. Go and flow in your giftings. Go interpret dreams for the prisoners on your left and your right. Quit waiting to be catapulted into your destiny by someone else. That's not anyone else's job. Nobody can walk you into your destiny but you. So the Lord tells all of us, permission granted. He said, get up. <laughs> Can you imagine what the men thought? It's like the rules have all changed, right? He said, get up. And then he said, roll up your pallet. Now, can you imagine how that thing stunk? <laughs> 38 years. I don't know if he had a new pallet or not. Here's what I think that means to me personally. Get rid of all that baggage he wasn't going to be laying around by the pool anymore, right? So he said, get up, roll up your pallet. And I'm just guessing. He said, you aren't going to need that anymore. You know, toss it. And he said, and, and walk. So for you right now, there's some level of, of meaning that you're pondering, because I can kind of see it on some of your faces, where you're like, wow, I've been waiting for something that doesn't need to happen. It doesn't mean you manipulate your way forward. It doesn't mean you take advantage of a situation. It just means be who God's made you to be. Show up at the table with something to say, something to offer, something to contribute. It doesn't matter if you get credit for it or not. 
What matters is that you show up fully alive, offering what the Lord's brought you. So how do we do that? We pay attention. Well, how has God gifted me? How am I going to operate now? Permission is granted. I love economy. Maybe I love education. Maybe I love government. Maybe there are those of you that love the celebration arena, which is sports or entertainment and art. Others may say, hey, media is my deal. Some of you say, I'm all about the family. And others say, for me, it's religion or uh, work in the church or as a full-time intercessor. And God needs all of us fully functioning, highly functioning, in touch with our mission and our vision, not sitting around while time passes, stirring ourselves up to go after more of God like you heard this morning. And these are the people who will get to know their God. We don't get to know our God just waiting on the pallet the rest of our lives for our ship to come in. You know what? When your ship comes in, you kind of need to have something to say. You kind of need to have something <laughs> ready for that day. And so it's never like people think it's going to be in terms of how you step into your destiny and calling with God and your high-impact life. Your high-impact life is made by the way you pray every morning and the way you pray every evening and the way you live your life every day. I developed a way of doing business when I was leading this corporate learning center because it was a wild work pace. It was incredibly demanding. And <clears throat> night after night, I would be on my living room floor creating systems. Everything we did had to be on a corporate scale, so it was not the typical academic model. Uh, wasn't going to work. And I would spread it all out on my living room floor systems, contracts, everything that we needed, we're going to need. And I would ask the Lord, is this how we should do it? It's just me and the Lord. And uh, the Lord would guide me and I would tweak it and we would start out and begin using it and then we would modify it when we needed to. But the speed with which this thing grew was incredible. The results, well, you couldn't argue with them. And it was just one of the wildest rides of my life where I met God in that desire and hunger state. And he invited me into this situation where I was learning to know God on the run and do great exploits along the way. And he was helping me to understand what he was about. This is what he wants to do to do with you. We hope you're loving the Linda Field Show and that these ideas are helping you succeed day by day. We know you're busy and don't always get the resources you need to grow in your development as a spiritual professional. That's why Linda has created True Tribe, a community of learning for men and women who are ready to experience God-made success. You can access helpful classes and put your learning to work by getting started today for just $1. Come on over to truetribe.org slash join and get what's waiting for you inside True Tribe. See you over at truetribe.org slash join.